response of community philanthropy organizations to the COVID-19 pandemic. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Dr. Lori Parlberg. Dr. Parlberg sits in the C.S. Mott Foundation Chair on Community Foundations at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. And at our school, she and her colleagues are taking a look at Community Foundations and United Ways and what they've been doing to raise and grant out money in response to the pandemic. And Lori, thanks so much for being back with us to continue a conversation that we started last year as your research began. That research has now continued. What are some of the most recent findings? Bill, thanks for having me back. So since last March, students and faculty at uh, IUPUI's Lilly Family School of Philanthropy and the O'Neill School and colleagues from Ohio State have been tracking the emergence and fundraising and grant making by community foundations and United Ways in response to COVID-19. And um, what we've learned is that there are over 1,100 organizations raising money and they've raised approximately $1.2 billion and distributed $759 million. So almost three quarters of it by the end of December. So we recognize that this is really um, a lot of money. It's a significant fundraising effort. So what we've been looking at now is not so much the amount of money raised, but the factors that are behind that, the community factors. Let me give you a little conceptual background on this. Um, my research is at the intersection of community philanthropy. And by that, I mean that philanthropy, both individual giving and volunteering by people and institutional philanthropy, organizational philanthropy, supported by intermediate, intermediary organizations like United Ways and Community Foundations takes place in a social context. Philanthropy isn't just motivated by individual factors such as altruism and values and resources, although very important, it's also influenced by the context in which the action occurs. And so I focus on that place-based context and, that what we, and that's what we've been looking at now related to the COVID-19 fund. COVID-19 is a perfect event to study community context because it's hard to study the relationship between community and philanthropy because they both influence each other. They have a reciprocal relationship, but COVID-19 allows us to look at how pre-existing community factors are associated with the emergence of funds and the size of funds raised. So we've got a couple of really interesting findings. First of all, one thing that will not be a surprise is that larger organizations and organizations with larger staff were more likely to start a fund and they raise more money. And this includes controls for almost everything else you can think about in the community. Similarly, we find that community philanthropic organizations are more likely to start a fund and raise more money in economically advantaged communities. By that, I mean communities with high levels of education, high income earners, and um, high percentage of earners in managerial positions. Now, this isn't a surprising finding, but of course it has important implications for issues of equity. And this is particularly as important this is particularly important as we have relied upon local philanthropy as a partner in dis disaster response. And as we become increasingly aware of the disparities in COVID-19 around issues of race, culture, and class, this finding has really important implications, which we are still digging into. But I'd like to focus on two other findings that we had. 
first of all, one of our most surprising findings was that social connections in the community matter. Well, of course, that isn't that surprising, but the nature of the relationships that we found were. We had expected that close-knit communities, communities where residents had lived for a long time and had a dense network of nonprofit and faith-based associations would be more likely to support a COVID-19 fund. But we found that wasn't the case, actually just the opposite. In these communities, they were both less likely to have a fund and their fundraising levels were lower. So what does this mean? Well, first of all, it doesn't seem to mean that these communities are any less generous, but perhaps what we think is happening is that in these formal communities, formal funds are playing less of a significant role. They're less important than perhaps informal giving or supporting other organizations. I had one community foundation leader describe this to me as leading from behind. And so about $1.2 billion have been raised by about 1,100 funds. About 800 billion of those dollars, a million of those dollars have been regranted out. Lori, do we have any indication on the preponderance of grant recipients, where those dollars are being targeted? in terms of COVID relief, what types of nonprofits have been receiving that money? Well, Bill, that's our actually our next piece that we'd really like to get to. That data is really harder to get. Um, but what we do know from descriptions is it's across a variety of fields. And it's not all going to traditional partner organizations that they have funded with as well. Um, some organizations have been making grants out to individuals. Uh, a lot of faith-based initiatives, and in some communities, we're even seeing some uh, loans and gifts being made to small businesses. And you also have this phrase, political signaling, that has been emerging from your data and is part of your findings. Help fundraisers understand that aspect of your study, please. Yeah, so Bill, that's really a great uh, question, because that's one of the findings that has been really most interesting to us. So when we think about the capacity to take action, we know that the political context matters. And so we were looking at the relationship between uh, what we call political capital, government's willingness to take action. We looked at it in two different ways. One is political ideology, and we used a simple measure of Republican versus Democrat, the percentage of voters who are Republican, and we also looked at restrictions in place. And what we found across every way we could work the data is that as restrictions at the state level increased, community, local community foundations were more likely to start a fund and they raised more money. And the second interesting fact, is, the second interesting finding was that as the percentage of voters who are Republican increased, we found both the likelihood that a fund was started and the amount raised was lower. Mm -hmm. Now, we in no way are implying that Republican-leaning communities are less generous. But what we think, combined with the um, findings around restrictions at the state level, is that this event has been a highly politicized event and that the local community is uh, receiving and sending political signals about okay. the significance of COVID-19. So as you described your research expertise, you talked about the intersections of community and philanthropy. And, and even just now in this short time together, you've described several different community factors, levels of education, levels of income, uh, levels and types of government policy, political leanings, all these different things that the data are showing you have been influential on the development of these funds. 
Lori, what, what sense can fundraisers make of all of this information? How can they put this into practice as they continue to fundraise throughout 2021? Bill, so I think about it in terms of a philanthropic ecosystem, the connections between organizations and the resources embedded within the community as forming the system in which our philanthropic organizations are operating. And so I think we've got a couple of uh, thoughts that are coming out of the study. One is that it's really important for local organizations to figure out what role they're playing in that ecosystem. And I think that we see those roles shifting depending upon the nature of the issue. COVID-19, we've had some organizations that have solely focused on fundraising where others have been uh, more leading from the behind, making sure that other organizations are receiving funding or being an information hub. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, particularly around the political capital, we think that it really is important for organizations, particularly in response to uh, an event like this, to think about their relationships with other organizations and how they work together to send a consistent message to the community around so community needs. So it's not just my fundraising case for support as it relates to my particular nonprofit, but how my nonprofit fits into that broader ecosystem and the relationships I have with other nonprofits and the other two sectors. Is, am I correct in that? That's exactly right. That's why you get to be the MC on the podcast. Well, that, that's exactly. great. That is great advice for fundraisers, those to not just look solely at their own organizations during a time of crisis like the pandemic, uh, and not just certainly raise towards your strategic plan, uh, but also to see how are you fitting into that broader ecosystem of philanthropic government and business activity in your local community, uh, and also to have relationships across the philanthropic sector and the other two sectors as well. Lori, as a last question, I, I want to ask you to speculate. I, one thing I really appreciated about working with you is you stick to the data and you listen to the data and you report on the data. So I'm going to ask you to, to maybe just speculate, maybe not something that's entrenched in the data. But something uh, fundraisers will want to know is how long is this going to continue? Do you think the community philanthropy organizations are going to continue to have these COVID-19 pandemic response funds just for a couple more months? Is that going to go into even the next year? Do you have any sense on how long this behavior is going to continue as fundraisers are trying to plan ahead? So the data suggests that most of the fundraising uh, was over by the end of the summer. It appears that a little bit of uh, additional gifts are creeping in or cre crept in up until December. So it looks like fundraising has leveled out. The concern is if we enter another crisis with the pandemic, will it continue and or are donors burned out? So right now, I think that has leveled off. Um, but it isn't to say that this will not become part of a larger disaster response fund in other communities as we move forward. That is wise advice. And, and I would just add a friendly amendment to fundraisers that, you know, we're going to be hearing news, hopefully, as 2021 moves along of an economy that's improving. Uh, and we need to be able to point out that the economy is not improving for everybody in all the same way, that not all situations are coming back as quickly. They are for some sectors and some demographics, not for others. And that's why as fundraisers, we always need to sharpen, adapt, update that fundraising case for support to address today's reality and future opportunities, even those that aren't always in the public limelight. And one way to do that is to be part of that uh, mosaic, that tapestry of community collaborations, and to know your spot within that 
not just your spot within your own nonprofit. Now, for more information on research from the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, here's the website, philanthropy.iupui.edu. Across the top toolbar, you'll see research. You'll have a free pull down, and the research is available there for you for you to utilize. Now, a couple spots over on the top toolbar, you'll see professional development. That's where you find the fundraising school. We have our public courses. Many of them are in person as health codes allow us to do so. Uh, some of the courses are online asynchronous, meaning recorded. Others are synchronous, meaning live. And all those public courses you can attend with a crisis response scholarship that reduces the registration fee by 50%. Our custom training can be tailored just for your nonprofit, your association, your community, your county, Lori Parlberg, and we can bring that training right to your nonprofit as well. We have these free podcasts, quarterly webinars, Fridays with the Fundraising School, and again, all available online at philanthropy.iupui.edu. With Dr. Lori Parlberg, I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the Fundraising School. Mm-hmm.